Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Romans chapter 16. And here in Romans 16, in continuation of this beautiful letter that Paul is writing to the church in Rome, which is comprised of both Jew and Gentile, and at the same time, they're a very young church. He says, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister. It's very interesting what we see here because to commend, it's to introduce, to recommend, to approve, and to set together with. This is a very big deal. A very, very big deal. He says, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant. Translates here as diaconos. It's, she's a deacon. A deacon in the church. And a deacon is a teacher, a minister, and a servant. And that's what Paul is saying here. She's a servant in the church. But she has this role as a deacon, diakonos. And it's so beautiful because we see women, sisters in the church who have uh, uh, ministry roles, who have uh, even leadership roles. And this is a big Big deal in the church today because I'll tell you one of my pet peeves. I said this before, but I'll say it again. One of my pet peeves in the church today is how women have become second-class citizens. I don't like it. I don't like it because you don't see that in the Bible. You know, women have this idea like, oh, I have to submit to the man. I have to submit to men. No, you have to, if you're married, you submit to your own husband. If you're not married, you submit to Jesus Christ, you know, your, your eternal husband, your husband in heaven. You know, and if you are married, you still submit to Jesus Christ, your husband in heaven. You know, and if, you know, you, you have this, uh, uh, this concept where people start teaching, oh, the women, they have to submit to, to the men in the church. No way. There's no, that's, that's not found in scripture. No, the, the wife submits to her husband. If you're not married, you submit to Jesus Christ. And if you are married, you submit to your husband who's in submission to Jesus Christ himself. If he's not in submission to Jesus Christ, then you're the one who submits to Jesus Christ. I mean, you're always in submission to Jesus Christ. But if your husband goes off to crazy town, then all of a sudden, you, know, you don't submit to your husband. To a certain degree, there's, you know, a certain, I mean, I'm not saying you just, you know, you go off into crazy town, but to a certain degree, maybe a little bit of that to win him back. But you submit to Jesus Christ. A big problem that happens in the church is husbands go off into crazy town or crazy town doctrinally or crazy town works of the flesh. And they start doing all kinds of crazy things, a lot of sexual sin. And then they, you know, they get involved in disgusting acts of pornography. And then they say, wife, you have to submit to me. Therefore, you do this sexually. And the wife does it in submission to her husband, the unnatural use of the human body. That's very common in the church today. Don't let it happen with you. And when it doesn't happen with you, you go tell the other women. You say, hey, don't do this. You submit to Jesus Christ. It's very common. Or a husband will become a drug addict and say, here, wife, you know, here, take some of this meth with me. And the wife in submission to her husband says, okay, I'm going to do that. My pastor says I have to submit to my husband, so I'm going to do that. Now, these, I'm using big ticket items with sex and drugs, but the concept is entirely the same. Your husband goes off into crazy town, you submit to Jesus Christ. And you hold on to the kids. One hand holding on to the kids, the other hand holding on to your husband. And your body's like a little cross, you know, in submission to Jesus Christ. Stretch both ways, one, for the, one hand for the kids, one hand for the husband, and your body's a cross. You submit to your husband, and when your husband, or if, you know, Lord willing, he doesn't, but husband gets crazy, you submit to Jesus Christ. You're always in submission to Jesus Christ. But women have this idea where, oh, I have to submit to the men. 
or pastors start teaching women you have to submit to the men. And women are like robots in the church. They're like a slave class in the church. I hate it. I don't like that. But it's very popular. It's very common. Where the women are like the slave class. And you can feel it. If you like go walk into a building, walk into like a church, let's say you're trying to find a new church and you walk into a fellowship, you can see it. In the, look at the demeanor of the women. That's one of the, the first things I do is I look at the demeanor of the women. I observe the demeanor of the women. You know, is uh, the pastor's wife, you know, is she like a robot? Is she a slave under his thumb? And then all the other women, are they a slave under their husbands? Are they under the, the, the thumbs of their husbands? But then even not their husbands, is this woman like a slave to this other guy who's not even married to her, who's not even her husband? And you see it, women, as like slave class. Very dangerous doctrine. It's growing. In the, you know what's happening? Because people neglect the power of the Holy Spirit, they, uh, they set it aside. They set, set, not set it, but they set him aside, the Holy Spirit. They say, oh, that's for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. It's for another dispensation. And so what happens is they start to apply religion. They start to apply a a heavy-handed church government. And in light of having this heavy-handed church government comes, you know, all that's implied. Everything that comes along with it, which includes with the heavy-handed government, it's heavy-handed among the people. Less for the husbands and more so for the wives. Less for the men and more so for the women. That's what you see in church today. And, you know, you might be hearing this and you're nodding your head and you have, you've experienced this. You might have walked into a church. And I have to say this. I see this a lot with the Calvinistic churches. I see this a lot with the Reformed churches. I've had people tell me I need to go to a Reformed church because I need more church government. Because, you know, on one side, you have two ends of the spectrum. One side will say, oh, you know, the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. So, you know, the the, the church needs to have more uh, a government role, a governing role. And then the other side, you know, is like, okay, I'm not in a Calvinistic church. I'm not in a Reformed church. And there's, you know, immense freedom in Christ. But nobody's heeding the Holy Spirit. Nobody's yielding to the Holy Spirit. So, oh, I need more church government. So I'm going to go to a Reformed church. I'm going to go to a Calvinistic church where there is more, uh, there is more church government. There's more order. But that's not order of God. That's order of man. That's order of man. A lot of pastors, a lot of elders, they use Matthew 18, the, the government example of Matthew 18 as a cop out. And, you know, I, I mean that. I sincerely mean You might say like, well, that's hardcore. It is hardcore. I know. But they use it as a cop out because that's what happens when you deny the Holy Spirit or you don't yield to the Holy Spirit. Or there is no submission to the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. In light of that, women become, it's the, the natural, I don't like to use the word evolution, you know, not in a creation sense, but it's the natural evolution, the devolving of uh, human behavior. It's, it's the, nat- you have cause and effect, it's the, the, the natural evolution, you know, I'm speaking kind of like, uh, uh, um, you know, the, the impact on culture in a church, it, it happens. I mean, I'm not glossing over it and say, oh, it happens. I fully understand that it happens, and I fully understand why it happens. Does that make it right? Not at all. 
What does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? You see, look at Phoebe. He's, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister. He says, you know, I introduce, I recommend, I approve, and I set you together with Phoebe, our sister, who is a diaconos. She's a deacon of the church in Centrea, which is near, near Corinth. She's a servant. She's a diaconos, a deacon. Women can be deacons. Have you ever been in like heavy-handed church government? You know, biblically speaking, men are pastors, teachers of other men. Men are pastors. But women still have a teaching role. Women can still teach other women. Women can teach like children's ministry, youth groups. You know, I, I would... I would say, you know, a husband and wife teams are like the best for like a youth group. That's what, that's just, that's my opinion. And, be, you know, I, I, I say that because, you know, a husband and wife could minister, you know, scripturally, but then minister like, you know, what, uh, you know, a, a married woman to a, a, a young girl who wants to be married, you know, and then like the same with the husband to the boys. You see, there's nice ministry that can happen there. And no novice, you know, you can't use a novice. A lot of churches, they like to use, oh, this, this couple, they're 21 years old. Here, look, they can teach high schoolers. This, this couple, they're, you know, 22 years old. They're, they're, uh, uh, they're married. They've been married for a year. Look, they can teach the high schoolers. They can teach college age. Like, they, these guys are college age themselves. I'm not, you know, not to, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, look down on somebody's youth, as Paul says to Timothy, but then I would ask the question, okay, how long has this person been a Christian? How long has this person been walking with the Lord? What is their doctrine? What is their maturity level? Are they a novice or are they not a novice? And if they're in marriage ministry, they have to be married. They can't be married for a year, two years, three years. Those are newlyweds. Five years, newlyweds. They have to be in it for the long haul so that they can minister. Not a novice. Now, I'm injecting a little bit of my opinion in regard to this matter, but there's safety behind it. We have scriptural evidence of that, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Namely, with Priscilla and Aquila, a beautiful married couple, husband and wife. Very interesting what we see here because, you know, a big, remember how we were in the book of Acts? And I always would say, like, you know, it's the, the, the church in Acts is a lot different than the church today. It's not like the church today. Just like Paul's not like, he's not like the average bear, I would always say. Well, the church is not like the average church that we see today. The church in Acts is not like the average church that we see in Acts. Or, or the average church today is not like the church we see in Acts. It's one of my one of my big pet peeves in the church. Women who are slave class, servant class. Now, if a woman has a servant's heart and it's her that's that's the fruit of the spirit in her life, praise be to the Lord. If a man has a servant's heart, praise be to the Lord. It's it's service unto the Lord. But when it's mandated, uh, you know, I, I have beef with that. And not, you know, not because I don't like a servant class, because, you know, we are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when anything is mandated, you know, even in the Old Testament, how the Lord would say, you know, this is the rule, this is the statute, but it's for those who do it of their own free will. Like the Nazarite vow, the, the vow of the Nazarite. 
Like, you know, don't mandate this. Don't order people to do this. But if somebody wants to do it, here, these are the provisions for it. It's a very special consecration unto the Lord. But the same thing applies with servanthood. You can't mandate servanthood. I mean, look at parents who try to mandate servanthood to their kids. And the kids are like, man, when I'm 18, I'm out of here. Very interesting because what you see, you know, in an evangelistic sense, you know, you have all these fish becoming lambs coming into the fold of Christ. And praise be to the Lord. But don't forget the back door. What's happening at the back door? How many people are, you know, in the fold of Christ and they say, you know what? I'm out of here. You know what? I don't like this. You know, I don't, I don't, a lot of women, I don't like being robots in the I don't like being a, a slave class in the church. You know, this guy's not even my husband and he wants me to submit to him. You know, I'm not even married to this guy. And, you know, the Lord is calling me to serve in this ministry or serve as a deacon. And I have no opportunity in this fellowship because, you know, it's for men only. So I'm out of here. I'm going to jump ship and I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm not going gonna, I'm not gonna to fellowship anymore. What's going out the back door? You see? So yeah, I have to be very careful because this is this is a pet peeve of mine. Women who are slave class in the church. And look what Paul says here in verse 2. That you may receive her. Translate says that you may look for her and that you may accept her and that you may take her in. That you may receive her in the Lord in a manner that is worthy of the saints. Or in a manner, in, 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 uh, in a manner that is becoming of the saints. So I have to say something too for women, for my sisters in Christ. You know, be aware and I don't want to say like be cautious, but just be aware. And you might have to be cautious depending on the situation, depending on the scenario. A lot of the minds of men are polluted a lot. And I would say like, you know, 80%, you know, to, to be safe, I would say over 80%. But if I were to be like entirely honest, I would say like 95%, 97% of the minds of males in the church, they're polluted with pornography. So, you know, keep that if you're a female, you know, and you, the Lord is calling to you into whatever ministry, you know, keep that in mind. I don't want to say be cautious, you know, but be aware, which when you have this state of awareness, it might lead to caution or it might lead to uh, open arms, you know, depending on how dead the guy is, depending on how dead the, the, the guys are, you know, it depends entirely on, you know, the situation dictates. You know, keep that in mind. So just be aware of that for my sisters. Because the Lord might call you into, you know, certain ministries and in obedience do that. But then when you have this awareness, you know, you might have some guys who are like, oh, yeah, praise be to the Lord. God bless you, sister. But when you think of that ratio, that 95% ratio, just think the majority of those men, their minds are polluted sexually because of pornography. Their minds are often crazy town. Disgusting things. Not to exclude pastoral ministry. Not to exclude elders. You see? You know what's very interesting? In the Old Testament, when all the men, the kings, the religious leaders, the, uh, the religious establishment, the Kohanim, the Levites, when everybody went into crazy town, the Lord looked to the women. You see? Ruth, Esther, you say like, wow, you know, the, 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 I thought everything was melt. Don't forget they had a covering. 
They was covering Mordechai. You say Mordechai, but I'm using my Hebrew accent. Mordechai. Mordechai as a covering. As a covering for Esther. You see, there's the, the covering is always male. Covering is always male. Uh, the covering of a husband to his wife. The covering of Jesus Christ to his bride. You see? The covering of a pastor to the flock. You see? Male. But even with that covering, there are still aspects where women can, I mean, women can serve in all kinds of ministries. But as deacon, a lot of churches don't permit that. Oh, women can't serve as deacons because it's, it's for males only. No. Look at Phoebe. Look at Phoebe. And so I give you my, for my sisters, I give you my word of uh, just be aware. Not a caution, but just be aware that the majority of men, like if there's like 10 guys, there's probably one guy who's safe, one guy who's okay. In a group of 100 guys, there might be like two guys, you know, two guys that are okay. Everybody else polluted sexually polluted because of what's going on in them. They might not be sexually polluted in in like, you know, what they've done, but they're polluted in what they think thinking about what's going on in their brains, what's going on in their minds because they have to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ and a lot of guys don't do that. Why? Because of pornography. Or, you know, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous and praiseworthy, a lot of guys don't do that. Why? Because of pornography. They're compromised. They're compromised. And for such a time as this, when all these men are in crazy town, you know, you hear me say like, where are the warriors? Where are the warriors? And you know, if you're a female and you're in a fellowship where you're like a, a servant class, you're kind of like, yeah, you're looking around like, where are the warriors? Where are the warriors? All these men are compromised. All these men are comp All these guys compromised. This guy's a sex head. This guy's a drug head. This guy's, you know, a crackhead. This guy's a tax cheat. This guy did. Where are the men? Look in the mirror, sister. Look in the mirror, sister. Maybe it's you that's the warrior. And I pray the answer is yes. And, you know, be open to how the Lord wants to use you. Because what happens, a lot of pastors say, oh yeah, women are robots, women are slave class, they can't be deacons, they can't do this, they can't do that, they can't do this, they can't do that. And then what happens, the women are sitting there, oh, amen, amen, brother, yeah, I'm just going to sit here like a robot, mm -hmm, amen, brother. Because, you know, I, I fully understand it. But don't forget that even in the last days, pastors will be compromised. In the last days, these so-called teachers will be compromised, so much so that even Teachers and pastors today, popular ones, are saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You won't lose your salvation. That's what so-called pastors are saying today. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You will not use your, lose your salvation. That's what these fools are saying. Wicked, wicked people. And that's what they're saying. Since this is happening, you know, you might have had a, a, a male covering in whatever form, you know, you're single, you know, a pastor, you're single, a, a husband, or you're married, a husband, or, you know, uh, 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 you know, whatever. But what happens when everybody goes off into crazy town? Everybody. You know, are you going to be in a robot and be like, you know what, I'm going to, in submission, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the mark of the beast. 
because this guy says that, you know, I'll still be saved. I won't lose my salvation. Look, I have this study Bible and he tells me I can take the mark of the beast. So in submission, I'm going to do that. No way. You submit to Jesus Christ. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek, your husband, capital H. You submit to him. The same way I submit to him, my husband, capital H. You see? And, you know, my little, my, I don't know how to call it. Not a warning, not, you know, maybe a word of caution. I'll say a word of caution. Not caution into where the Lord is calling you because the where the Lord guides, he provides. But caution in terms of the understanding that the majority of men compromised. Compromised. Young, you know, I mean, like 12-year-olds. I mean, I there's 8-year-olds that are, you know, starting their pornography, starting watching pornography. 8-year-olds. Pretty much any time a parent gives their kid a phone. Boom, pornography. That's that's pretty much how it is. Your kid is, oh, can I get a phone? All my friends are having phones. And what do the parents do? They say, oh, okay, they compromise. Oh, okay, yeah, you know, I want to be my kid's best friend. So here's your phone. Boom, pornography. Right off the bat. Eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds. And their minds are being corrupted. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, they're in teenage years, they get a date, they go and start dating, minds are corrupted. Man, imagine that. Well, I mean, if you have daughters, imagine, you know, your daughter's going out, you know, in courtship, dating a guy or, you know, in courtship with the guy. And then all of a sudden this guy has a rotten mind. What's going to happen to your daughters? Wickedness abounds. And then they get married. And then all of a sudden, you know, your daughter is submission to her husband who wants to do these crazy, crazy, stupid things, the unnatural use of the human body. Wickedness. Wickedness. So when you hear me say, where are the warriors? If you're a female and you're like, oh, you know, I have to, I'm, I'm a robot. I'm, you know, I'm in submission to everybody. I'm a slave class in the church. No, get that out of your head. Get that out of your head. Because... You're a warrior too. You know, will the warriors please rise? Will the warriors please rise? Just like Phoebe. Just like Phoebe. Do you know what it was like to be a Christian in Rome at this particular moment in time? It was hardcore. It was hardcore. And when things are hardcore, you know who stands? The hardcore. Such as Paul. Such as Phoebe. You see? In verse 2, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner that is worthy of the saints or becoming of the saints. Now, you hear me give my word of caution to, the, to, to my sisters. Now, to my beautiful brothers, I say this. If you're a sex head, repent. If your mind is on craziness, sexual things, repent. And not just sexual things, but crazy things, you know, just blanket statement, repent. If you don't bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, repent and change your ways, O oh man. To my brothers, if you don't meditate on things that are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, repent and change your ways, O oh man. Because what happens a lot of times, I mean, you know, in the military, you know, you can, you can, you know, you can have the best, 
physical fitness, the best, the top physical fitness. But then if you are mentally unequipped, you can still be discharged. You know, you have a, you know, a certain time period on your contract. And then, you know, for conduct unbecoming discharge, you're out of here. Why? Because of conduct unbecoming, you're a liability to the platoon. You're a liability to the team. You're a liability. You're not an asset. You're a liability. Boom. Get out of here. I'm mean, them saying that's how it is in, in the military. You're out of here. We don't want you. Because you're a liability. People can die. Men can die. Get killed. Why? You might be physically fit. You might be physically whatever. Top of whatever. But what is your level of discipline? What is the mindset? You know, what is the warrior mindset? And if it's not up to snuff, boom, you're out of here. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm speaking, you know, uh, foolishly, sem somewhat carnally too, you know, because certain experiences that I've had. But the same thing applies in the fellowship. Look what Paul says here in verse 2. He's saying to church, Jew, Gentile, men, women, he says, receive Phoebe in the Lord in a manner that is worthy of the saints, becoming of the saints. What does it look like to be becoming of the saint or becoming behavior that is becoming of a saint? Read the Bible. Not just read the Bible. Heed the Bible. Don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Be holy. Moses says be holy. Peter says holy. Be holy. So what do you do? You be holy. How do you be holy? Read the Bible. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Word of God. Because I've been in fellowship, men's fellowships before. And I hear, I have heard how they talk about sisters. Sisters in the body of Christ. And I tell you the truth, I want to vomit. Even at even at the thought of it right now, I want to vomit how these men speak about sisters in the body of Christ. You'll want to vomit too if I told you. Not to exclude pastors and elders. Disgusting things. And you know, watch your kids. Watch your kids. You know, a lot of parents, they say, okay, yeah, you know, this... This guy's gonna teach you. This guy's gonna teach you. And you know what you're seeing? Because of carnality in the church, because of wickedness in the church, even among the pastor class, you have uh, like Eli's sons. Wicked. Wicked. You see? And this is a hardcore message for men, too, because it's like, you know, let your mind be worthy of a saint. Your mind. And where your mind goes, your body will follow. People say, oh, I got to do this. I got to do th this. You know, the, these acts, these acts, the works, the works, the works. No. Where your mind goes, the body will follow. Let your mind be stuck in heavenly things, oh men. Let your mind be stuck in heavenly things, oh women, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And not to suggest that, you know, 10 years ago, it was okay. It was dismissible. But even more so, as we get closer to the last days, we have to die more and more and more. 
carrying our cross, reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead. You see, when I say, where are the warriors? Will the warriors please rise? You might be male. If you're male, stand up. If you're a warrior. And if you're female and you think, okay, you know, these guys are standing up. I'll leave this for the men. No, you stand up too, my sister. You stand up too. Look how hardcore Phoebe is. Beautiful, beautiful Phoebe. I like tough, you know, male, female. I don't care. Young, old. I, I like tough. That's just me, you know. I like tough. I don't like weak beta males. I, I don't like, you know. I'll hang around with them. I'll laugh with them. But in the back of my head, I'm like, man, this guy's disgusting. He's a beta male. I, I just don't like it. That's just me. You know, you see the millennials, you know, they don't want to cut the umbilical cord. And they're, you know, they're with mommy and daddy. To me, disgusting. I don't like it. But that's just me. You know, I'll, I'll still hang out with, I'll still hang out with them. You know, you know, laugh, you know, drink some coffee, tea, whatever. I'll still do that. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, man, that's gross. It's just gross behavior. You know, and I pray like, Lord, can you please help this guy cut the umbilical cord? And, you know, forgive me, Lord, because I don't like it and I don't want to be mean, you know, and I just don't like it. I think it's gross. I think it's disgusting, Lord. Lord, forgive me because <laughs> I want to tell him about it, but not in a nice way, not in a mean way. But that's just men nowadays, guys nowadays. Sometimes they're boys. And so in a situation like that, in a state where the church is comprised of boys, and the women are like, oh, I have to be a servant class. You have little boys going to war. No. If you're female and you're warrior class, let's go to war. Let's fight this out. Let's, we're going to fight to the end. Male, female, I don't, I, I really don't care. Male, female, I don't care. But you know what's so beautiful? You read the Bible. <laughs> Men, women, young, old. Warriors and faithful. And so look what happens here. In verse 2, they say, Receive her in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. You see, so, you know, he's telling them, he's telling the church in Rome, you guys assist her. She's calling the shots in whatever business, but it's in obedience to the Lord. So the Lord is calling the shots and in obedience to, to the Lord. Phoebe is needs help. And Paul is saying, hey, guys, help her. So Phoebe comes into town. The church has her. Okay, this is Phoebe, the one who Paul told us about. And she needs help in this. She needs help in this. She needs help. Phoebe, what do you need? Phoebe, I'll do this. I can do this. You need to run her over here. I'll, I'll go run. Give me the documents. Give me the parchments. You know, I'll run them over here. Supplies, I'll run them over here. Or do you need this? Phoebe's calling the shots. And her is in, she's in obedience to the Lord. What the Lord wants for her as a deacon in the church. Because I say this. He's like, man, he's really harping on this. I'm doing it for a reason. Because a lot of churches say, women, you can't do this. Let the men handle it. Let us men handle it. You can't do this, women. You can't serve in this capacity. And Paul is saying, no, you guys, you listen to what she needs. You listen to what she wants you to do. But you guys are the ones to assist her. Beautiful, beautiful Phoebe. 
I don't know if she was married. I don't know if she was married. I know for sure she was married to Jesus Christ, but you know what? I I, I, don't, I have a hunch that she probably wasn't. <laughs> Maybe she was. I don't know. But she's in submission to her husband, capital H, Jesus Christ. You see? The church, you guys, the church in Rome, you guys assist her. And whatever business she has need of you, she needs you here, do it. She wants you to do this, do it. She's serving the Lord and it's pleasing unto the Lord. You can help her. You can be the Lord's co-worker in helping her like this. This is Paul vouching for Phoebe. This isn't Paul just saying this in general, generally speaking. This is beautiful, beautiful warrior, brother Paul. Vouching for beautiful, beautiful warrior, sister Phoebe. As a deacon. A pastor vouching for the deacon, diakonos, you see? For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Beautiful, beautiful Phoebe. In service unto the Lord, helping others and also helping Paul. Beautiful Phoebe. You know, we've only done two verses so far, but I pray if you're a sister in the church, if you're one of my beautiful sisters in the church, I don't care how young you are, I don't care how old you are. I mean, look at beautiful Zipporah. Look at her intercession that she did for her husband Moses when the Lord was going to kill Moses. Be encouraged, my sisters. Be encouraged. You see, like, man, where are the men? I'm surrounded by all these beta males. Where are this, this guy? This, this guy, this pastor, he thinks he's a man, but, you know, he does this. He, you know, what in the world is happening? I'm in the same boat. That's what I want to know. What in the world is happening? No, you're a warrior. Let's fight. Let's go to battle. Let's combat. Let's go to com combat. It's time to handle business. We are in the last days. We are in the last days and it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. I don't say this pridefully. I say this fully understanding, you know, what the scripture says. And I shouldn't say what fully understanding because we can always learn. But I say this with a lot of understanding of what the scripture says and what it costs, especially in these last days, quite possibly our lives. And, you know, I, I'm speaking from America, I'm teaching from America, but even more so in the areas of the persecuted church in China, in Russia, in Arab countries, in Saudi Arabia, in Iran, in Vietnam, all over the place, the persecuted church. What's happening in Uganda, in Sudan. Insane atrocities are happening to Christians, our brothers, our sisters. North Korea. Incredible atrocity. Maiming, cutting off hands, cutting off arms, cutting off legs, cutting off heads. Rape, murder, rape of children, rape of wives happening today in this day and age to our brothers and sisters my brothers your brothers my sisters and your sisters and we're trapped in this bubble of the western world and we become blind to those things no pray for the persecuted church and so look what happens here in verse 3 
Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So here they are. You know, we read the book of Acts. You see Priscilla and Aquila and how beautiful they were when they, you know, the Lord crossed paths. The Lord, you know, he he, uh, aligned the paths of Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, fellow tent makers and also fellow co-workers in the Lord, fellow workers in the Lord in ministry. Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife. And they taught Apollos. Apollos Apollos was a great teacher. He knew the kind of like a little Paul. I mean, not a little Paul. He was his own guy, but kind of like Paul. But he knew the law. He he knew uh, 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 the Old Testament. And then he knew the New Testament. But it was according to the baptism of John. John's baptism, which was the baptism of repentance. And then Priscilla and Achilles says, you know, do you know, do you know, what baptism do you teach? And Apollo says, I only teach the baptism of John. They said, no, we're going to teach you more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you know what's so cool about that union, that closeness between Priscilla and Achilles and Apollos is that Apollos was like, oh, no, no, I'm the learned one. Oh, I, I can't learn from you. I'm the learned one. No, he wasn't prideful. He says, okay, tell me more. Tell me more. And then he was sharpened. As iron sharpens iron by Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife. And then Apollos goes on in his missionary journey, helping the church, teaching the church, pastoring the church, shepherding the church. Not to exclude Priscilla and Aquila, they certainly had a role. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. You see, I love the, you know, crucified with Christ. You hear me make a big deal when I say, you know, uh, when Paul says I am crucified with Christ and I make a big deal about that's Paul who's saying it. I am crucified with Christ. And I say that not because the word that, that, that scripture doesn't apply to you. I say it to challenge you as you take inventory of your heart. To crucify your flesh, crucify your carnality. And so I read this in verse 4 about Priscilla and Aquila who risked their own necks for the life of Paul. It's like, wow, these guys are crucified with Christ. A husband and wife crucified with Christ. Remember, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's not saying, oh, they're, they're taking these foolish risks. They're taking these foolish risks. No, in obedience to Jesus Christ, they're, they're fulfilling what the Lord wants for them. No matter the risk. Just like you see in the Old Testament. I mean, sometimes in the Old Testament, you see, you know, the Lord says, go here. And the people are freaked out. And we're going to study that in our, in, in our Wednesday studies in, in, in Numbers. The Lord says, go here. The people get freaked out. And the Lord says, okay, you know, I'm going to teach you this lesson. I'm going to chastise and I'm going to teach you this lesson. Remember, the 11-day journey became 40 years. And it, the Lord reacted. You say, oh, why was God so mean? Why did he do that? An 11-day journey turned into 40 years. Why did he do that? Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Yeah, the Lord did it. But what did the people do that caused the Lord to respond that way? And remember, the Lord chastises those whom he loves. Sometimes an 11-day journey for us becomes a 40-year journey. Why? The same reason with Israel. Stiff-necked. Exact same. Old Testament, New Testament. Nothing new under the sun. 
and about this beautiful, beautiful couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They risk their own necks for my life, Paul says. They risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And so you see the sacrifice of church leadership. Yes, church leadership. Is it Priscilla and Aquila? They're just they're just a husband and wife. That's it. They're not church leadership. Really? They're teachers of Apollos. Teachers of a pastor. I wish, you know, I shouldn't say this, but, you know, it'd be kind of neat to, to see what that little Bible study was like. Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. I wonder if it was Priscilla that was doing the most, most of the teaching unto Apollos. You say, oh, that's forbidden, the woman. But she had her male covering there, her husband. You see? A lot of times in fellowships, in churches, and I say this with all due respect to the Lord because it's His church. We're His. We belong to Him. I say this with all due respect to Him, not to denigrate the church. With the utmost respect for our Lord, with the utmost respect for His church. And don't forget, he says to certain, you know, seven churches saved two. He says, repent or else I'll, you know, you're, I'll take your name out of the book of life. Read Re Revelation 2 and 3. Smyrna and Philadelphia, the only two churches that he didn't say repent. All the other churches, repent, 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 repent. So I say with all due respect to the church, because with all due respect to the Lord, because it's his church. We are his church. But what, what camp are you in? Philadelphia or Smyrna? Those are the good ones. But if you're in Thyatira, repent. You see? Laodicea, repent. You see? Sacrifice of church leadership. Priscilla and Killa weren't leadership. They weren't leadership. They weren't leadership. Really? They certainly were. They trained pastors. You see? The sacrifice of leadership. Turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 15 or 14. <clears throat> Luke 14. And in Luke 14 verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's what the Lord says. This word for to hate is to hate, to uh, um, love less. I'm not saying, you know, you know, hate your mom, hate your dad and hate all these people. No, but remember, it's love God first. And then people. Remember when, you know, the Lord called certain people, hey, you know, come follow me. And they were, oh, let me, let me bury my father first. Let me go and say my goodbyes. And the Lord says, you know, let the dead bury their dead. Nobody who commits to the plow and then turns around is worthy for the kingdom, he says. You see? He says in verse 26, yes, and his own life also. Just like Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their necks. You say, like, well, you know, that's scary. They risked their necks. They could have died in helping Paul. They could have died in whatever capacity they were serving. They could have died. 
I wonder if we can go back in time. Priscilla, Aquila, doesn't that concern you that you could have died? I wonder what they would have said. Eh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why? Because they're heavenly minded. They're thinking about eternity. I mean, you know, you ever talk to Christians? It's like, oh, you know, you could die if you do this. And like a smile on their face. You know, like, like they're looking forward to death. Look at what our Lord says here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? You see? Count the cost. Count the cost. What is the cost of being a Christian? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, the Bible says, but, you know, I'll, I'll add a little something to that. Friends. Maybe family. Colleagues. Co-workers, you know, your co-workers say, oh, yeah, we're going to get drunk tonight, Friday night. You know, we hit our quota. Yeah, we're going to go to the bar. You know, come on. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going. What? Oh, maybe next week. And then next week comes. Oh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do whatever, you know. Come with us. No, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not, I'm not down with that. You know, I'm not going to do that. And then all of a sudden, you know, people start to like you less. You love them, but they like you less. You'll tell them about the Lord. But they'll like you less. Or even friends, they call you, hey, you know, let's do this. Let's go get drunk tonight. Let's go get high tonight. Let's go to the strip clubs tonight. Nope. Sorry, I'm not doing that. Maybe I did that, you know, two years ago, but not anymore. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. That was my old nature. Not anymore. Oh, you're so stupid. Boom, hang up. You start to lose all your friends. What about in the church? You say, like, oh, cool, I have sanctuary in the church. Yeah, well, all these friends. And in the church, people start to call you. Hey, we're going to do a men's Bible study, and we're going to go to this bar at happy hour, at happy hour, and we're going to go and read our Bibles, and we're going to drink their beer. They had a good lager. A good lager. I like the hops they use. A good lager. Nope, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. You know, I don't want to cause another brother to stumble. And plus, for me, I don't want to be stupid. So, no, I'm not going to do that. Oh, you're such a legalist. Look, we have freedom in Christ. You're such a legalist. And then another guy calls you. Hey, I have a question. I'm doing my taxes. I have a question. If I say this on my taxes, I think I can get another $3,000. What do you think? Oh, that's lying, brother. That's lying, brother. Don't do that. But it's good for me. I can make $2,000 extra. A little tax credit. All I got to do is just fudge these numbers. And you don't think it's good? Oh, you're so dumb. You're such a legalist. Look, I can give it to the church. Look what I can do with this. I can feed the homeless with this. Dirty money. That money was born from lies. You see? Your friends are going to get less and less and less. The closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more lonely you will be. Count the cost. 
And that's today in the Western world. In some areas, it'll cost you your life. The cost of being a Christian. Look what they do to pastors. Uganda. Sudan. Niger. A pastor. They'll take the pastor. Tie him up in a chair. Tie the pastor up in a chair. They'll take his son. Put his hand out on a, on a table. And chop his hand off. And tell the son to deny Christ. To deny Jesus. And the son doesn't do it. And the dad's crying, tied up in a chair, crying, yelling, stop, stop, stop. Don't do that. They cut off the son's hand. The son is bleeding. They say, okay, you're not going to deny Christ? Other hand. Boom. They cut it off. Chop it off. The child is crying, going into shock. He's bleeding. He's in pain. And the dad is crying, yelling, don't do that. Please don't do that. They say, we'll stop. We'll stop. All you have to do is deny Christ, deny Jesus, this Jesus who you, who you believe in. Deny him. The child doesn't deny him, and the, the, the dad doesn't deny him. And then they cut off the boy's head. And the dad watches, the pastor watches. You see? That's happening. Happening to our brothers and sisters. What they do to women? Worse. They do that and more to include rape. And not rape one time, rape multiple times by multiple people. And the husband watches, the pastor watches, the elder watches. Today, the persecuted church. Count the cost. That's what our Lord is saying. Count the cost. Look at the early church. Look at their persecutions. Look at our Lord himself. Look at the apostles. They counted the cost. Do you not want to drink of that cup? Well, that cup is coming. In some areas of the world, that cup is already here. Count the cost. In verse 29, it's about counting the cost, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know what that says to you and me? Let's finish well. Let's count the cost and let's finish, let's finish well, even if it costs our lives. Why? Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. He continues, verse 31, or what king going to war, going to make war? So fight. You know, when you go to war, you have to come to grips with, you know, you're going to fight and win or you're going to fight and die or fight and live and fight and die. You have to come to terms with that when you go to war. When you are combat ready and you deploy to a hot spot, you have to come to grips with, you know, you're going to deploy to this area and you might come back in a body bag. You have to come to terms with it. You have to come to grips with it. Or don't enlist. Don't sign up. Same thing in our, in our walk with the Lord. You're going to lose friends. People, family, they're going to think you're crazy. You might even lose your life. 
You might lose your job. Count the cost. In verse 31, what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against them with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. You see? Compromise. Compromise fear of man. You see? Compromise. A lot of men today, a lot of people who were once warriors have been compromised by their own decisions. With sex, with drugs, with alcohol, with the little white lies. Oh, it's just a little white lie. No big deal. Well, you're compromised. You see? In verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake or renounce all he has, whoever of you does not forsake all all he ha- all that he has cannot be my disciple. It is impossible. That's what our Lord says. Red letters. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. But men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Count the cost. Count the cost. Don't, don't allow yourself to be compromised. You don't compromise. Don't make compromises in your walk with the Lord. Even when you have to stand alone. Even when everybody else is bowing the knee to Baal, you stand firm in Jesus Christ. Even in the church, when everybody bows the knee to Baal, everybody bows down to worship the Antichrist, you stay standing. The Lord didn't call me to teach the dead. He called me to teach the living. You stay standing, my friend. You stay standing, my beloved brother. You stay standing, my beloved sister. You stay standing, my beloved little ones. You stay standing. Count the cost. Oh, I'm only 10 years old. How can I count the cost? Count the cost. Count the cost. It's for everybody. You talk to kids before, talk to little children. Oh, you know, yeah, I, I, how can I do that? How can I do this? It's like, okay, you have a, you know, kind of like a basic understanding of spiritual things. But sometimes that is even more, especially in tandem with your faith. That is even more than somebody who has all the knowledge in the world. The brainiac. You ask a guy with a doctorate who's a, a, a doctor in theology. Degree in this, master's in that, master's of divinity. You know, study Bible this, study Bible that, everything. New York Times bestseller, all these books. And you ask him, hey, can you take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved? And the guy says, yes. Then you go to a 10-year-old. Hey, can you take the mark of the beast and still be saved? Absolutely not. Don't ever take that. No way. Praise be to the Lord. You have a titan in the 10-year-old, a warrior in the 10-year-old. And you look to this so-called learned man, milk toast, beta. You see? Turn with me really quick to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. 
This is specifically targeted to pastors and ministry leaders. You have to check yourself. Especially for these days that we are in and especially for the days that we are entering into. For pastors and ministry leaders, you have to check yourself. Are you a shepherd of the flock of Jesus Christ? Or are you a hireling? A hireling who is a wage worker. Are you in ministry just to earn your wage? I don't care what the wage is. I know pastors who in their contract, they say, I'm not going to pastor unless I get $250,000 a year. And that was like 12 years ago now, man, 13 years ago now. So even more so now. I won't be a pastor unless your congregation can pay me $250,000 a year. And if you can't do it, then you know what? I'll sign up. I'll be a pastor over here in Florida where they can pay me. You see, who are they answering to? The Lord or mammon? Who are they answering to? The Lord or their belly? You see? So to the pastor and ministry leader, I'm urging you, check yourself. Are you a shepherd or are you a hireling? So John chapter 10 verse 12 says this, but a hireling translates as a wage worker, somebody who's, you know, following, listening to mammon. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. You see? This hireling, this so-called shepherd, this hireling, he sees danger coming. He sees the wolf, and you know what? He's a scaredy cat. Unfit for combat. Unfit for war. Unfit for a fight. This hireling who thinks he's a shepherd is unfit. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep. This word for catches is harpazo. The same word where, you know, the Christians are caught up. The same word for the rapture. Except this wolf catches. Harpazo is to seize and catch and pluck and take by force. The wolf harpazo the sheep. The wolf catches the sheep, snatches the sheep, takes by force the sheep, and scatters them, which translates as to, he uh, wastes them. You see? He wastes them. Scatters the sheep. The hiring flees because he is a hireling. He is a wage worker. He's following mammon. He's listening to mammon. And does not care about the sheep. If you're a pastor. If you're a ministry leader. Count the cost. Count the cost. The days are getting darker and darker and darker and darker. And prophecy is being fulfilled. There are more Knesset, people in the Knesset, Israeli Knesset, who are calling for the building of the third temple. It's happening. 
we're going to see these things start to swell and swell and swell. The political, the political means are getting easier and easier, especially with these uh, peace agreements. And put that in air quotes because it's false peace. Especially the, the peace that's going to be confirmed by the Antichrist, which is, you know, the confirmation of the covenant with many. It's all fake peace. Oh, peace in the Middle East, peace in the Middle East. Finally, there's no war with Israel and her neighbors. Finally, we can all just get along. Wow, look, let's build the temple. Major, major factions, political factions in Israel are saying it is time to build a third temple. And the Antichrist will sit in the temple of God proclaiming to be God. How can that prophecy come to pass unless there's a temple? You see, if you're a pastor, if you're a ministry leader, today, count the cost. And if you don't have enough, if you don't have what it takes to, you know, fulfill your ministry as these times get darker, if you're a hireling, if you know you're a hireling and you're chasing after mammon, Oh, yeah, I'll work. I'll sign up. I'll work at this church, but I'm going to have it in my contract. I need $250,000. And if you don't pay me, I'll go to a church in Florida. They can pay me. Or I'll take a pay cut, $220,000 a year. That's fine. If you can't, you can't pay me. I'll, 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 be, I'll be gracious. I'll take a pay cut, $220,000, and I'm good. Beware. Beware, oh, pastor, because the days are getting evil. What about when the church cannot pay you? What about when there's church shutdowns and the church can no longer pay you? Oh, I'm just going to go back to work. You know, the, the, the Lord has, uh, he's, he's done with this ministry. The Lord is closing this door here. And so I'm just going to go work. I'm going to go work in corporate America. That's the nice way of saying they're trying to gloss over it. That's a nice way of saying you're a hireling. Because the hireling does not care about the sheep, the souls of the sheep who are not his. The sheep are not yours. You have to count the cost. Just like Paul counted the cost. Just like uh, 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 Phoebe counted the cost. Priscilla and Aquila who risked their own necks. They counted the cost. Let's go back to Romans. Romans 16, verse 4, about Priscilla and Aquila who risked their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. You see? And so we did this little sidestep into Luke 14 and John 10 to say, hey, count the cost. Count the cost. If you're not a pastor, if you're not a ministry leader, still count the cost. But if you are a ministry leader, if you're a pastor, count the cost. Because you can't be a hireling. Especially in the last days. Because you'll be exposed. I mean, you're already exposed. I mean, in a lot of ways, you are exposed to a certain degree. But the sheep will be scattered in the last days. In order for that to be fulfilled, the hirelings have to be exposed. You know who else has to be exposed? The warriors. Men, women, young, old. You have, you know, this so-called warrior, so-called shepherd who thinks he is 
and says, oh yeah, go ahead, take the mark of the beast. You won't lose your salvation. You'll be okay. Old guy. Old guy walking with the Lord for X number of years. Many, many, many decades. You ask a 10-year-old, hey, 10-year-old. Hey, 10-year-old girl. Hey, 10-year-old boy. Can you take the mark of the beast? Absolutely not. No way. Boom. That's a warrior. That's a warrior. I'd take that 10-year-old over this so-called, you know, whoever wrote his study Bible. New York Times bestseller. You know, so-called pastor of millions. Pastor of multitudes. I'd take this 10-year-old over that guy. Why? Because he knows sounder doctrine than this, than this other guy. You see? Little 10-year-old warrior. Praise be to the Lord. And not only this, as we look at Priscilla and Achilla who risked their own necks for the life of Paul, you see this alignment. Paul in service unto the Lord. Priscilla and Achilla like, Paul, we're on board. We're on board. I'm, I'll risk my neck. You want to do this? You want to go here? You need these supplies? I'm going to risk my neck. Now, if you hearken back to our study in Romans 13, you know, submission unto government, church submission unto government. And in this day and age, we're living in a time period where there's some major government shutdowns, heavy handed government shutdowns to the church. But I have a special message for pastors. You're an individual. You are one individual. Pastors, you are one individual. You see? So a church might shut down, but you are one individual. I sincerely believe that the last day's church will be more of a, a home fellowship model. Will be saint-centric. Just as it was in the early church in the book of Acts. I think the book of Acts is a blueprint for the last day's church. Home fellowships. Saint to saint to saint to saint. Everything just blowing up at the, at the micro level. Not the macro. The days of the macro level, I think those are closing rapidly. But the days of the micro level, in terms of what we see in the book of Acts... The power of the Holy Spirit. That's just me personally. I can make a strong case. I'm not going to fight anybody over it. But we can observe the fruit. Look at the mega church. Pastors who've been accustomed for decades and year after year after year after year of mega churches and mega church paychecks. And then all of a sudden, boom, gone. What is that pastor going to do? No, I'm not saying, you know, all megachurch pastors are bad, but is that megachurch pastor going to say, you know, fine, you know, I'll live out of box and I'll still teach you. I'll get a motorhome and I'll still teach you. Or is that pastor going to say, oh, you know what? I can't get my, you know, $500,000 a year. I can't get my book deals anymore. Everything's closing down. So I'm going to go get a job with corporate America. I'm going to go get this job with this global conglomerate. They'll pay me the same amount of money. You see? Count the cost. Count the cost. 
Paul says this. I love this because you see unity here. I mean, remember what we what we study in the book of Acts, and you know this book of Roman, the letter to the church in Rome was written around Acts twenty. And so as you see what Paul is doing, and not just Paul alone, I mean, you know, all the churches, individual Christians. And when I say all the churches, the majority of their churches were home fellowships. Home fellowships. Not, you know, brick and mortar church, you know, home fellowships. Christians meeting in people's homes. Paul would go into a home. They'd have the family there, and then maybe a guest, a couple guests. Yeah, I'm going to teach you the word. And then Paul would leave, go out in the streets and teach, you know, preach the gospel. Some towns rejected him. Some towns accepted him. Some of the Christians accepted him. The the, the other townspeople, they said, we're going to kill him. The Christians had to save Paul. Paul was left for dead in one town. They thought he was dead. You see, it's like the traveling pastor. A model of the last day's church. That's just me personally. That's what I believe. But the day of, you know, brick and mortar, mega church. I can't see that that model surviving as the days progress. I can't see. I mean, it's possible. But I just can't. Now, if you're a pastor and you have a mega church, prepare yourself. Number one, count the cost. If you're a hireling, you know, step down. But count the cost. You're going to have to change your lifestyle. Change your lifestyle and teach because you care, for the, you care for the flock of God. To minister to the flock of God. To teach the flock of God even when it costs you your life. If you're not a hireling. But if you're a hireling, you know, step down. I'm saying this for your life. For your, I'm saying for your own benefit for your life. I mean, if, if, you know, if you don't believe that to live is Christ, to die is gain... By all means, you know, but if you want to count the cost and the Lord called you into pastoral ministry and you want to fulfill that call, you see, you can't be a hireling. Hirelings need not apply. You teach. You teach till you're blue in the face. You teach even when you got a knife to your to your neck. They got a knife to your neck and you keep teaching. Teach, 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 teach. They find you. Boom. Go ahead. Slice away. Take it. Why? Because to live is Christ. To die is gain. Verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Priscilla and Aquila. I love these people. Man, they're like, you know, pouring into pastors. Apollos. Pouring into Paul. Taking Paul in. Paul teaching them. Pouring into them. And it's not like, you know, they pour into them and it stops. They pour into Priscilla and Achilla. Priscilla and Achilla pour into Apollos. Paul pours into Priscilla and Achilla. They're, you know, teaching them, teachers of pastors. Deep, deep, deep spiritual things. And then they have a church in their home. <laughs> Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. You know, perilous times in the Roman Empire, home fellowships. Look at the church in Rome. During the book of Acts, you know, the cost of being a Christian got very heavy, got riskier and riskier to the point where it could cost your life. And during the perilous times of the Roman Empire, you should have the model of the home fellowship. 
But what about the perilous times of the revived Roman Empire, Roman Empire and even the revived Holy Roman Empire? Home fellowship. Verse 5, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. You see how beautiful this is? Wow, the first believer in Achaia. Eponidas. Paul says, greet him. My beloved Eponidas. Greet Mary who labored much for us. In the Greek, this trans trans translates as she was a very, very hard worker. I mean, it's hard worker, but in the Greek, there's the emphasis, there's an extra word, which is like to emphasize how hard of a worker she was. Very hard worker to the point of fatigue. She probably didn't sleep very much. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Mary. You see, we talked about Phoebe. I talked about Phoebe in verse one and two. We studied Phoebe. A beautiful, beautiful sister in, in, in Christ. In service unto the Lord. A diaconos. Deacon. And here, verse 6, Mary. You know, these certainly weren't robots. You know, you could say, oh, you know, that servant class, servant class. Well, you know, you, you hear they're mentioned as servants. You know, diaconos is a servant. But it's a servant unto the Lord. You see? Not unto, not unto a man. Unto the Lord. And don't forget, the Lord says, you know, you guys are my servants. You read the Gospels in chronological order. You guys are servants, you know, and I'm going to teach you servant leadership. But then you keep reading. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. You see, because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but a friend knows exactly what the master is doing. You see, unity, not just church unity, but intimacy each individual apostle, each individual disciple with the heart of Christ. The same today. Each individual person, you individually. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. In verse 7, <clears throat> Greet Adronicus and uh, uh, Junia, my countrymen and fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles. So you read like the book of Acts, you say, okay, these are the apostles, the apostles, apostles. What does Paul say here? What does the scripture reveal here? Andronicus and Junia, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Wow, so before the Damascus road, these guys were walking with Christ already. In verse eight, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. You see, the church, individual Christians, you have the different home fellowships, but each individual Christian is named here. Not each, but I mean, like, these certain people. I mean, imagine if you're, like, a church in, you know, wherever in Rome, and you're like, oh, Urbanus, that's you. I mean, you're at this home fellowship. You have, like, you know, you, you know, have, like, a, a cup of water. Maybe a little, you know, piece of bread, you know, and you're having a meal, you know, maybe partake of the communion, you know, and you're like, wow, you know, here, look, this letter says Greek, Urbanus, 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 that's you. And then all of a sudden he starts to teach. Wow, how beautiful this home fellowship model. 
In verse 10, greet Apelles, approved of Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are of who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena. Tryphena, female. And Tryphosa, another female, who have labored in the Lord. This is the same word that is used for Mary in a couple verses ago, which was hard workers. Tryphena, Tryphosa, females, sisters in Christ. You see? Fellow workers. Male, female, it doesn't matter. What does Paul say? Inspired by the Holy Spirit in Christ, there's no male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile. Because we're one in Christ. But meanwhile, you have these today heavy-handed church government who says, women, you are subclass. No, such teachers need to repent. No way. It's service unto the Lord, service unto our husband. Capital H, Jesus Christ. Now, I mean, I have to say this too. If you're a female, <laughs> if you're my sister in Christ and you're like, Oh, no, I'm going to be a warrior. I'm going to be a warrior. I'm going to be a pastor. Whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> you know, women cannot teach men. I mean, without their own male covering. Like Priscilla, she had Achilla, her male covering, and she taught Apollos. And you know what? It was in private, more more intimate. It's not like public where people can say, oh, look, Apollos is stupid. He doesn't know that it was more private, more intimate. But for a, in a church setting, you read the letters that Paul writes to Timothy and Titus. Pastoral leadership in teaching males has to be a guy, male. You know, if you're female and you're like, oh, that's a bummer. No, it's not a bummer. It's for your safety. It's for your safety. Men teach men in a church setting, you know. Like a female, like you watch TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. You have a female pastor. She calls herself pastor, prophetess, whatever. And she's t- you, you, the, the camera pans to the audience. You see all these women, and you see their beta male husbands. And they're like nodding their head. Mm-hmm, amen. Don't you read the Bible? Women cannot teach men. And so, like, you know, when I say warrior, I mean, it's warrior, but in accordance to the word of God, in accordance with scripture. Very, very, very important. Because everything has to be done in accordance with scripture. Or else, it's like you take a battery, take a flashlight, take a battery. You don't follow the instructions and put the battery in properly, no power. Say you have like four AAA batteries or four AA batteries. Every single one of those four batteries has to be put in the proper order, in the proper, you know, it has to be um, the, you know, the, the, the has a little, uh, the lumpy part, you know, the, you know, positive and negative. But if three batteries are in properly and one is not in properly, you're going to screw the little cap on and hit the button to turn it on and no light, no light, no power. There's power in the batteries, but there's no power for the light bulb. Why? Because a battery is flipped. One battery. What if there were 10 batteries? One battery is flipped. No power. Why? Because something's out of whack. Something's out of whack. No, you unscrew the little lid deal. And you know, check the batteries. Okay, this one's good. 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 Boom, this one's bad. And you have to change it. Take it out. Flip it around. Put it back in. Screw it back on. Boom, light. But the same thing applies in our walk with Christ. 
You see? It, I mean, to be honest, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's kind of easy. It's kind of easy. Just follow the instructions. Follow the instructions. It's kind of easy. And I don't mean easy like, you know, to, you know, but you hear these brainiacs. You hear the so-called theologians. They teach, they preach, they use all these big words. They, you know, it's like, wait a second, you know, you're saying this. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? They explain it and it's like, okay, thank you for explaining that. By the way, you're wrong. I've had three and a half hour conversation with a guy before who was on his way to becoming a pastor. He expressed a desire to be a pastor. He was adamant, I'm going to be a pastor. And I've heard him give sermons before as a guest. We had this long conversation and he was using all these big words. I had to ask him, like, like okay, hold on there. What does this mean? And he'd explain it. Like, oh, you're so stupid. You know what this means? No, I really don't know what it means. And you know what? I'm the first to admit I am kind of stupid because I know I don't understand what that means. So tell me, what does it mean? So he'd tell me what it means. Okay. What does this mean too? Okay, he'd tell me what that means. Okay, I get it. I understand what you're saying now. Oh, but by the way, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. We had this long conversation, three and a half hours. And finally, at the end, I told him, you know what? That's idolatry. Because the God that you're saying, the God that you're proclaiming is different from the God that is written in the Bible. And that's idolatry. And you need to repent. He had this smile on his face, a little smirk. And he tells me, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. That's what he told me, his words. I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. You see? Yeah, he knew all these big words. Yeah, he, you know, he was a, a so-called, you know, theologian, self-proclaimed theologian. He knew all these things and whatever, and he was saying all these things. And I have a pretty basic understanding of Scripture. I mean... Not to boast or anything, but I just read my Bible. Nothing fancy. I read my Bible. That's it. Genesis, Revelation. I read. I study. I read. Rinse and repeat. Genesis to Revelation. I've read the Bible several times already. I mean, I'll leave it at that. Several times. Okay, I've read a lot. But there was safety in it. And I don't say it without boasting. I'm not boasting. My boast is in Christ. But if I didn't have this knowledge, I would listen to this guy and be like, oh, wow, wow, that's interesting. Wow. Oh, yeah, this big word. Oh, cool. I'm going to use that now. I'm going to pretend that I'm smart too. And I want to use these big words. And what does this mean? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I get it now. I get what you're saying. And I don't know the Bible, but you know, I, you sound like you know what you're talking about. So, yeah, I'm on board with that. That's what happens. That's why people get led astray into false doctrine. That's why. But when you read the Bible, and not as literature, the Holy Spirit interprets, the Holy Spirit will help you. And you read Genesis to Revelation, and you keep reading and reading and reading, something happens where you start to understand. And then when that happens, some Joe Schmo is going to come before you and say, oh, yeah, you use all these big words and you keep, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean? They explain it. And you're like, okay, that's nice. You're wrong. 
what do you mean I'm wrong? You know, look at my degree. Look at this. Well, look what the Bible says. You know, that's nice. I like your piece of paper there, but look at this holy paper. Look at these holy words. This is what is written. You see? And the guy told me, I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. And he had this smirk on his face. Wicked. Evil. And I got kind of emotional. Because I thought like, man, the people that this guy can lead astray. The sheep, God's sheep, unsuspecting lambs, unsuspecting sheep. The people that this guy can lead astray. Very interesting when you understand. You know, the word of God is, you know, the B-I-B-L-E. I like to see it. You know, you, it's been said before. Basic instructions before leaving earth. It is instruction and righteousness, but it's kind of basic. It doesn't, don't make it hard. It doesn't have to be hard at all. You know, I like at Peter and Peter say, you know, you know, Paul, he, you know, you know, uh, some things Paul teaches about and it's difficult to understand, but he's a man of God. And Peter, remember, he's a fisherman, you know, and he's just kind of like breaking things down. I love Peter in the gospel because, you know, he, he, he would even question the Lord and the Lord re rebuke him. And rebuke after rebuke by Jesus and even by uh, Paul. Rebuke after rebuke. He was still had a soft heart before the Lord. He didn't say, oh, you know, how dare you rebuke me and then like run off into sin. No, he was like, oh, you know what? I'm in the wrong. Oh, wow. Lord, forgive me. And then boom, he starts writing 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And his words captured in the canon of scripture, which means what? His words weren't his words. His words were given by the Holy Spirit. Look at his heart closely aligned to the heart of Christ. So much so that his words became canon. Captured in the Holy Bible. In verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Hard workers, same word. Hard, hard, hard workers, females. Greet the beloved Persis, another female, who labored much. Very, very hard worker. Look at all these workers, these warrior women. You see how beautiful this is? Labored much in the Lord. I have to say this again. If you're a sister in Christ or my sister in Christ, and maybe you're in a fellowship, maybe you attend a fellowship where, you know, you're kind of like, you know, second class citizen. You know, you can tell your pastor, tell your elder, tell a pastor. I say go to the pastor. I mean, you can go to an elder, but, you know, go to the pastor or elder, you know, pray about it. But I say go to the pastor. Say, hey, pastor, how come we're second class citizens? How come I'm a second class citizen here? And the pastor might say, well, this, 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 whatever. Just do a little study with him. Romans 16. Private, do it in private, you know. Well, you know, if he's wicked, then, you know, not in private. I said, well, look at, look at all these women here. Look at Tryphena. Look at Tryphosa, pastor. Look at Persis. Man, they were hard workers. Look at Maria. Wow, or Mary. I'm a Latin descent, so I say Maria. Look at Mary. She labored much in verse 6. Look at Phoebe. A diaconos. A beloved sister in Christ. And Paul says, commends the church to her. 
or commence their the, the, the union be made. Hey, can, I'm going to connect you with Phoebe. And you do what she tells you to do. Why? Because she's in service unto the Lord. A sister in whatever business she has need of you. You see? So you tell your pastor, you tell your elder, Hey, how come I'm a second class citizen here? Look at all these women here in chapter 16 of Romans. How come I'm a second class citizen here? How come when the Lord, you know, I told you the Lord wanted me to do this ministry and I wanted you to, you know, like, you know, give me direction about that, you know, pray. And how come you just rejected me? Because that's what's happening in churches today. Beautiful, beautiful ministries are shunned because of this concept of women being second class citizens. You see, and you can correct the pastor. You know, be discreet. Don't do it like in public, you know. You know, be private about it. If your pastor's wicked, don't be private because he's wicked. You know, he needs to be a eunuch for Christ and in Christ. And if he doesn't have that mindset, if he doesn't bring every thought into captivity, if he doesn't meditate on whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, don't be alone with that guy. Because remember my ratio? I say 85% to be on the safe side, but in actuality, it's probably closer to 95%. Sexually compromised. You see? It's the last days. Another sign of the last days. One of many. And they're getting more. The signs of the last days are intensifying. More and more and more signs of the last days. And when we see these happens, yes, we can look up and know that redemption draws near. But at the same time, count the cost. Because they're called perilous times for a reason. In verse 13, greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Very interesting what we see here in verse 13. So wait a second. Does that mean Rufus and Paul are brothers? Are they biological brothers? You know, I have to say, if you read from an Alexandrian text Bible, if you read from the, you know, if you remember our study in um, chapter 11, Romans 11, and you hear me give a little dissertation about texts, you know, uh, 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 Textus Receptus, uh, Alexandrian versions, and, you know, um, uh, texts that align closer with the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and with a little asterisk of understanding that, take that with a grain of salt because of Septuagint math that we see in the book of Numbers. Now, if you recall that, if you read from an Alexandrian text Bible, which is like the ESV, the NIV, the NLT, he says that uh, uh, the the mother of Rufus has been like a mother to Paul. That's how that that's how it translates in Ale Alexandrian and older texts, or Alexandrian and newer texts. That's how it translates. But when you look at the original, it says, "Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine." So, does that mean that this is Paul's mom? Does that mean that this is uh, Rufus and Paul are brothers? Well, uh, mother here is the majority of times you see mother is mom, you know, biological mom. But it also can be like, you know, um, a mother type. So that's, you know, but 
I say that because, you know, it could be that, you know, it, it, that the mom of Rufus was like a mother role to Paul. It could be. But the text doesn't exactly indicate that, except with the little aspect of this word for mom can also be mom-like. So I have to stress that because it's very interesting when we when you read text that is close to the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Greek, when you read text, it's in some verses, it's a whole new ballgame. It's a brand new ballgame. And I tell you from experience. I'm not just telling you because, you know, oh, this guy says I got to do this, this. No, I tell you from experience. I mean, I read NLT. I read the Living Bible. I read the NIV. I read the ESV. I read the King James. I read the New King James, um, American Standard, all kinds of different Bibles multiple times. And the ones, the one that I have settled on is the New King James. New King James. That's the one I prefer. I, I still read certain, you know, sometimes I'll do uh, King James. Uh, sometimes I'll do, um, uh, or uh, very rare. I shouldn't say sometimes. I don't do it anymore. I used to, but pretty much just King James and New King James. Those are the only two. And predominantly the King uh, New King James. And then I also look at uh, Hebrew texts, Aramaic writings, and um, Greek. It's... it's you know, when you look at, when you read the Bible in those texts, it's, it's a whole new ball game. It's a whole new ball game. And that's what, that's why I say, you hear me say from time to time, I'm more of a Textus Receptus kind of guy. Because I like being as close as possible to the original manuscripts. And you don't capture that. And the Alexandrian texts have been more liberalized. The Alexandrian texts, ESV, NIV, NLT, They've been more liberalized through the ages, especially the NIV and NLT. Living Bible, more liberalized through the generation. And now, the modern text now, even with copyright dates and certain uh, uh, changes to the text, they're being more, I mean, they're being liberalized for sure. I mean, like majorly liberalized, using word where they're changing male into female or they're changing male with, you know, no sex attached to it. That's not good. Changing the authority of God, the authority of Scripture, alter, making alteration, alter, alterations to that. That's not good. And yet another sign of the last days, all leading up to the apostasy. Apostasy, a defection away from truth because people have no love of truth. They will be given over to the lie. Strong delusion of the last days. Now this, signs are abounding. Signs are converging for such a time as this. And so look what we see here in oh, another little side note too. this Rufus. There's mention of Rufus uh, in um, Mark chapter 15, verse 21. You see Rufus, the dad of Rufus, was uh, um, the, uh, 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 the fellow who carried the cross of Jesus. Is this the same? Is this in fact the same Rufus? Is that his dad? I don't know. But when you read Alexandrian and newer texts, you wouldn't even come to that conclusion. You, you, because the way the text is written. And sometimes what happens with NLT and NIV, the writers, the translators, they know that there's this confusion. I shouldn't say confusion, but they know that there's this uh, misalignment with the uh, an older translation and the original manuscripts. So they just kind of gloss over it to 
calm the waters. They don't want to stir beef with anybody. They don't want to do this with anybody. So yeah, we're just going to, you know, keep the waters nice and calm. So yeah, let's just write it like this. So instead of their purpose, instead of their goal being, we want to be as close as possible to the original manuscripts. They say, well, our goal is to not cause any, any, not stir the pot. You see? In verse 14, greet uh, Asyncritus, uh, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobas, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, another female, Nereus and his sister, another female, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You see, now I have to say this. This holy kiss, it's a kiss. It translates as pure, sacred, and blameless. And it is a kiss. Now, I'm of Latin descent, so, you know, sometimes I meet my family members, and we kiss, male, female, we kiss. You know, little, you know, the little cheek job, you know, left cheek, right cheek. You know, hey, how you doing? In Spanish, you know, but, hey, how you doing, you know, left cheek, right cheek, you know. I've only done it. Very rarely have I done it in the church to brothers and sisters. Very rarely. And mostly to brothers. And these men, these brothers of whom I have kissed, you know, the cheek chop. Beautiful, beautiful men of God. Beautiful men of like unspeakably beautiful men of God. You know, only the dead can do this in verse 16. Only the dead. Because in the last days, there's so much crazy town in the last days. People say, oh yeah, let's, let's, let's holy kiss. Let's kiss nice and holy-like. No, wickedness. Remember my ratio? 85% safe, but you know, I get my little, you know, to be safe, 85%. But in actuality, probably 95%. A lot of men, large majority, 95%, I'd say, compromise sexually because of what's going on in their mind. What's going on in their They might not do the works. But what's going on in their filthy minds? And I've had men tell me, you know what? I should be a producer of pornographic movies. Men tell me. Married men with daughters. Married men. Who work in churches. In whatever capacity. And they tell me, oh, I, I, should, I should be a producer of porn movies, pornography. Wickedness. Wickedness, sick, disgusting. When that happens, when every thought is not brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. That's what the Bible says. Bring every thought into captivity. So, man, your mind wants to go off into crazy town. Look at the safeguards you have. You know, you're not bringing every thought into captivity. You want to dwell on pornography? Is that true? Is it noble? Is that just? Is that pure? Is that lovely? Is that of good report? Is that virtuous? Is it praiseworthy? The answer is no. Therefore, you need to repent and change your ways and be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. You see? Simple. Simple. Go and sin no more. 
So, yes, it is biblical. Greet one another with a holy kiss. But my extra emphasis is that only the dead can do this. Only the dead. I've done it with several men before. Oh, beautiful, beautiful men. Beautiful speech. Beautiful hands. Beautiful feet. Beautiful men. And a couple sisters too. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful speech. Beautiful hands. Beautiful feet. Very rarely. A lot of old women. The, of the, the majority is men, but of the women, old. Actually, they're all, now that I think about it, yeah, they're all old. Beautiful, beautiful women. Old women. I mean, when I say old, I meant like eh, 60 plus, 65 plus. Uh, now that I think about it, maybe 70 plus. So, you know, be of good cheer, you know. The churches of Christ greet you or embrace you is how this translates. In closing, in verse 17, verse 17 and 18, you know, highlight these verses. These, this is a big deal. He says in verse 17, now I urge you, brethren. Remember, letter to the church of both Jew and Gentile. I urge you, brethren, note those. Translates as to look, take aim, and mark those who cause divisions and offenses. See, division... You know, people say, oh, you're causing division in the church. That's not good. That's not good to cause division. But Paul says here, who caused divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. You see? Contrary to the doctrine. That's why in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And you hear me say, and I'm not going to get tired of saying this. You hear me say, okay, you don't want to eat shrimp. You don't want to eat lobster. That's fine. With that, we have no beef. And you're my brother. You're my sister. I love you. You say that Monday is holier than Sunday because you work. Maybe you work weekends and Monday's your day where you do your Bible study. You listen to sermons and, you know, that's your day. And praise be to the Lord. It's unto the Lord. With that, we have no beef. You are my brother. You are my sister in Christ. Now, there's no division. No division whatsoever. Because you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. Now, somebody comes in and starts saying, oh, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You can still be saved. Or no, let's put some glitter up on the rafters. And at my cue, you know, you hit the button, the glitter calls down, and let's call the glitter the Holy Spirit. Idolatry. Let's call this glitter falling down the Holy Spirit. You know what I say? That is wrong. That is wicked. That is evil. You know, you want to create an idol and call it the Holy Spirit? You want to tell Christians, God's people, God's lambs, God's sheep, that it's okay to take the mark of the beast and they will not lose their salvation? That directly contradicts Holy Scripture. It's wrong. Oh, you're causing division. You're causing division. How? How? Verse 17. You call it a division, but you're in the one that's contrary to doctrine because that's idolatry calling glitter the holy spirit that's idolatry you need to repent telling christians that it's okay to take the mark of the beast because number one salvation can't be lost and number two they can still retain their salvation because of god's promises but you read the bible what does it say do not take the mark of the beast and you're going to tell christians take the mark of the beast 
Oh, you're causing division. Don't say that. Don't speak against this, against this guy. Don't say that. It's contrary to doctrine. What he's teaching is contrary to doctrine. Oh, you're going to say this about this female pastor who's on TBN and teaches all kinds of men and women? It's contrary to doctrine. Oh, you're causing division, division. Really? Look at the camp that you're in. Look at what you're doing. You, you think glitter is okay? You think glitter coming down and calling it the Holy Spirit is okay? You think holy laughter is okay? What they call holy laughter? You think union with the kundalini spirit, that's okay? The spirit of God in union with the kundalini spirit? No, that's not okay. I'll gladly cause division. Why? Because it's contrary to doctrine. And I don't say gladly like, you know, oh yeah, let's cause division. I mean gladly like standing up for sound doctrine. You see? Don't forget the Prince of Peace is the one who says, don't think that I came to bring peace. I came to divide. Why? Because the wheat and the tares have to grow together until the harvest. So who are you? I mean, if you're listening, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's saying that. I can't believe he just said he's talking smack about this guy with this study Bible. I'm not, it's not that I'm talking smack. It's that this guy says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Oh, this guy's spe he's speaking about this famous church with their music and all their, their worship and all this. Blasphemy. Idolatry. They're calling glitter the Holy Spirit. Partaking in this holy laughter. Demonic. Demon possession. Look, he's talking about this lady who, you know, famous pastor, famous lady pastor who teaches men and women. It's unbiblical. It is outside the model of what the Bible says. Remember, 10 batteries, but one is out of whack. One is not in right. Maybe three batteries. You know, I would be gracious by saying 10 batteries. Say three batteries, but one's not in right. What does that mean? No light, no power. I mean, power's in the batteries, but the power's not making it to the light. What if there's just one battery? You see? That's what the last days is going to look like. People are not going to have batteries for their flashlights. Or, put in other words, people are not going to have oil for their lamps. That's what the last days is going to look like. You say, oh, that's too hardcore. I can't, I can't, I can't, under, I can't align with that. It's, it's too harsh. It's too hardcore. Well, in perilous times, it requires a hardcore mindset. Requires. And when I, you know, I don't say hardcore in a prideful manner. I say hardcore like we have to be hardcore when it comes to doctrine. You and me both. We're in the same boat. Because that's where the safety is. Sound doctrine. You say, wait, that's still too hardcore. I don't get it. Can you explain? Yes, I'll gladly. I will gladly explain. Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. You see, it's a form of judgment. 
that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You say, oh, it's too hardcore. It's too hardcore. I can't align with that. Well, you know what? There's something inherently beautiful about truth. It's hardcore. You know why? Because the truth of God's holy word confronts the natural man, the natural woman. Confronts to our faces, not in our, not a knife in the back. It's right up front. And you read the Bible and you're going to be so blessed by one chapter, by one little uh, um, paragraph. You're going to be blessed by one verse. You're going to be blessed. And then you're going to turn the page and you're going to feel like there's a knife in your heart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is wants to renovate, do a gut job inside of your heart, inside of your mind. You and me, we have to let him. We are the clay. God is the potter. We are the clay. We are the ones that are soft in his hands, not the other way around. If it's the other way around, 2 Thessalonians 2.12 applies. That's not good. You see, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse uh, 9 through 12 applies. That's not good. Strong delusion. You have to have a love for the truth. If you don't love the truth, change your ways. Get the love of the truth. That's what's so beautiful about repentance. You change. Lord, forgive me. You know, I was listening to this lady on Tricking Believers Nightly. And boom, you change your ways. You're the one that changes. Lord, I want a love of your truth. Okay, beautiful. Read his word now. But I have read it. I do read. Well, read verse by verse, line upon line. Genesis to Revelation. Read it that way. Don't cherry pick, you know, one verse here. You flip a couple pages, one verse there. You flip a couple pages, one verse there. What you're doing is you're cherry picking. That's not good. Read it all. The good, the bad, the ugly. And yes, the ugly. Yes, the bad. Not bad in terms of the word of God, but bad and ugly in terms of what's contained in the word of God. Mistakes that people make. Death that occurs. Why does death occur? Judgment that occurs. Why does judgment occur? Then you're going to understand the grace and mercy and love of our Lord because he loves you. You know, you ever see a kid get spanked and then all of a sudden the kid's like, Oh, mom, dad, why did you spank me? Why did you spank me? It's like, well, son... Daughter, baby girl, I love you. But because you made this choice, you are the one who forced my hand. I had to chastise you. I had to spank you. It's the similar concept. You know, how much more with our Father in heaven, the immense love that he has for us, for you and for me. And if you're a non-believer, for you too. For you too, repent and receive his son, Jesus Christ, and believe in him for the remission of sins. Let's go back to Romans. <clears throat> Verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Avoid them. People tell me all the time, oh, you're causing division, you're causing division. Show me. And I don't say that pridefully. Show me. Please tell me. I want to know so that I can repent and be right before the Lord. Oh, you shouldn't say this about this guy. 
He says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. That's beside the point. Beside, that's kind of a big deal, my friend. It's kind of a big deal. You see? Crazy town. Crazy town abounds. In verse 18, For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. This word for deceive is to hypnotize and seduce the hearts of the simple, the harmless, the unsuspecting, and the innocent. Lambs and sheep. In verse 19, for your obedience, for your obedience has become known to all. So I love this because their obedience, it's not a hidden thing. Their obedience unto the Lord, it's not hidden. And you know, this explains Paul's comfort in this. I'm injecting a little bit of my opinion here. In my opinion, this explains Paul's comfort level in teaching deep things. Remember our studies in Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11? I mean, you, you say, okay, there's a Rome is a, the church in Rome is a young church. Why is Paul going into these very, very deep things with them? Well, look at their level of obedience. Their level of obedience has become known to all. And because of this level of obedience, I mean, this is my opinion. I think, I suspect, I can make a case for it. I suspect that Paul was more willing to give deeper things of truth because of their obedience. As a result of their obedience. Like for example. Um, get a BB gun. Are you going to get a, a BB gun to a three-year-old? A BB gun to a two-year-old? No, it's dangerous. Why? They, they're not mature enough to handle the BB gun. But, you know, a 10-year-old? Maybe. I mean, I'm not a, you know, that's not for my, I mean, if, if you're a 10 year old, like, see, he says I can get a BB gun. Look, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to cause any issues with families. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't say BB gun. I don't know. I'll say BB gun. So, you know, it depends on the kid, you know, a 10 year old. One 10-year-old might be able to handle BB gun fine, beautifully. And another 10-year-old, it, it would be dangerous to give that kid a BB gun. You see? So, and the same thing applies with truth. You know, deeper, deeper truths depends on, you know, who's able to, who's able to handle this. And their, not only their maturity level, but their level of obedience. You see? Their level of obedience. You have to understand, especially in ministry, you have to understand if the Lord has called you into ministry, maybe you're a pastor, you're an elder, you know, a new believer, you know, not to say like, you know, you have to be careful with giving deep things, you know, but to be fully aware of their level of obedience. Because if you have a person that is obedient unto the Lord, when you give deep spiritual truths to this individual, then they're going to understand that, you know, the Lord is going to work it in their heart. They're going to think about it. They're going to reason with the Lord as the Lord invites, come, let us reason together. And their obedience, not just their obedience, but their faith, their walk, it's going to just blow up beautifully. It's going to bloom and blossom. And sometimes you, you can't, based on a level of disobedience, you can't give deep spiritual things because it's they're they're still 
old wineskin. They're not new wineskin. They're old wineskin. And you can't do that. So there's this, this level of awareness that has to happen as in, in ministry. This level of awareness to know the sheep, know the lambs. And so in verse 19, you know, Paul says, you guys, your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil or innocent concerning evil. Innocent concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Very interesting how this is worded in there because the God of peace will crush, crush Satan under your feet shortly. You know, remember the Roman oppression against the church where it, the cost of being a Christian was getting very heavy and getting heavier. And even still, even still, you look at their obedience in verse 19, which has become known to all their obedience unto the Lord. Wow. What about the obedience in the church today? You might look at the church today and be like, wow, you know, I don't see a lot of obedience. In fact, I see a lot of disobedience. Okay. Okay. That's the church and it breaks my heart. And I hope it breaks your heart too. But let's boil things down a little further. What about your obedience? My beautiful brother. What about your obedience, my beautiful sister? What about your obedience? Yes, the church is going crazy. Everybody's going to crazy town. I fully understand that. What about you? What about you? You see, even when we have these heavy-handed government mandates, you know, shutdowns, you know, churches shutdowns, all these different things like, wow, you know, I hate it. I hate it. I know. I fully understand. But just like Paul says here, it's like the church in Rome. Let it resonate with the, the with us, you know, in, in these heavy-handed government shutdowns. Let it resonate with us because verse 20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. You know, it's just a matter of time. All things will come to a head. But certain things must come to pass. You know? People say, are we in the signs of the time? We're seeing the signs of the times. Yes, we're seeing the signs of the times. But are we in the times of the signs? I say yes. Paul says here, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You see? Lovely, beautiful, beautiful people here. The church. All these individual Christians. Paul says, you know, greet this person, greet this person, male, female, you know, uh, Phoebe, you know, a uh, 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 diaconos, a servant of the church in Centrea, in service unto the Lord. I commend her to you, he says. You know, welcome her. Welcome her. She's doing this beautiful work unto the Lord. In closing, verse 21 says this, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. You see, these are names that we've heard before. We, you know, we know Timothy. I mean, there's books written, letters written to Timothy. We know his mom, you know, and his grandma, Lois and Eunice. Their beautiful ministry unto the son and grandson. Jason, you know, remember Jason? He had the home invasion. We studied that in the book of Acts. The home invasion. And here... They're still with Paul. Still with Paul. How beautiful this is to see this, the church. Not at the macro level, on the micro level. The micro level. You see how beautiful this is? Verse 20, 22. I, Tertius, 
who wrote this epistle greet you in the Lord. I think this is kind of, <laughs> to me, I see this, it's kind of humorous. So he's a ghostwriter. Tertius is a ghostwriter, like the scribe, Paul's scribe. So who knows what Paul was doing? Maybe uh, Paul was in study. Maybe he was in prayer. I don't know. Maybe he was just like, you know, he, all day he was like, you know, preaching the gospel, teaching and doing all these things. And now he's, you know, in this quiet time or, you know, sitting down and he's telling, hey, Tertius, write this down. We're going to send a letter to the church in Rome. Write this down as a scribe. Tertius was a scribe. And so here you see the scribe Tertius. Beautiful, beautiful brother Tertius, you know, puts his little two cents in there. Oh, by the way, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, I greet you in the Lord. Paul is saying like, okay, this guy, let's greet this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this lady, this sister, this sister. Oh, yeah, Phoebe, yeah, Mary, all these people. Let's greet them. Oh, yeah. And then Tertius writes in there with his pen. You know, his, his little, his ink. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, I also, I greet you too. How beautiful this is. You see koinonia, oneness, the saints of God. Beautiful, beautiful men, beautiful, beautiful women, the body of Christ. One body, one mind, one mouth, one spirit, the spirit of Christ. Just like we studied in chapter 15. And so he says in verse 23, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church. So Gaius, his house, you know, I kind of see like, I mean, if you ever see like, um, like operatives, like, um, like uh, operatives, like highly, highly specialized operatives, they might be in a certain part of the world and they have safe houses around the world. So they might go into one region, they get in a little trouble and they go into a safe house or they're in one region and they're in a safe house and they're just waiting for, you know, whatever mission is coming down. So there's these safe houses throughout the world. All governments have them, safe houses all over the place. You know, I mean, your neighbor might be a safe house for, you know, you know, whoever, you know, the Germans, you know, it might be a safe house and your next door neighbor. I don't know. I'm just, but there's safe houses. All governments have safe houses all over the place. You don't know it. They just look like a, you know, a regular house, regular people live there. And maybe they're the ops, the operatives, or maybe they house operatives, you know, everything it's. That's what, that's what they do. But you see a little picture of the church does it too. <laughs> a guy is in his safe house, you know, that guy is my whole, he hosted, you know, hosted Paul, you know, and Tertius, the, the scribe, you know, you see this little model, little safe house. And I kind of like this personally because you see like a special ops or, you know, like the uh, uh, whatever agency, you know, they have safe houses throughout the world. And we can be doing the same thing, you know, throughout the globe, you know, a little safe house here, safe house here. Oh, there's a Christian here. You know, oh, you know, can, can we fellowship in your home? Can we meet here? Yeah, you know, come on. It's what well, you're welcome to all. Let's let's fellowship here. Little underground church. This is the underground church model. You know, the, the brick and mortar large fellowship, you know, I, I don't really see them surviving. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll say this. The government sanctioned ones, they'll be fine. Just like in China. You see the brick and mortar church, everything is fine, except the sermons have to be approved by the CCP. You see? Everything's homogenized. It's can't be, you can't teach Romans 13. You can't teach this. You can't teach that. Everything is homogenized, sanctioned by the government. It meets government approval. And so you see this underground model, house to house, you know, say Christian safe houses. It's so beautiful. We have to be wise, wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. 
So he said, well, wait a second. We have, to, we have to listen to the government. We have to obey the government. Yes, biblically true. For a church fellowship, uh, uh, you know, like a, the brick and mortar church fellowship, to align with Romans 13, it's very difficult because you have masses of people meeting in one location. Very difficult with government mandates. But a pastor is a, a person of one, you know, man of one. If he's married, you know, his wife. One or, you know, two become one or, you know, two people. Maybe a pastor and co-pastor. You know, pastor and elder. Traveling. Boom. House to house. Safe house here. Safe house there. Boom. Fellowship. Meet with the family. Hey, you know, let's study, you know. Let's study. Let's read. Let's study. Let's pray. Let me lay hands on you. What do you need? Is there anybody ill here? Does anybody need prayer? Oh, yeah. My daughter's sick. Baby girl's sick. Bring her over here. Baby girl, get over here. No, no. She's there, you know. Scratch that. She's there in the midst. She's like right there. Okay, here. Let me lay hands on you. Marriage is okay? Yeah, you know. You guys aren't fighting? No, no. Everything's good to go. Praise be to the Lord. You see? You know, grace and peace to you, brother. You know, I'm out. I'm going to the next house. You see? Underground church. Underground church. For the last days. We have the blueprints right before us. We've, the Lord has given us the blueprints already. We've had them. So yes, you know, like brick and mortar churches, the, the, the sanctioned one, the ones that are government sanctioned, poison emanates from those. They, they teach government approved, the homogenized message. Poison. But what is truth? Where is the truth? You have to know your Bible. You must know your Bible because you turn on the TV, Tricking Believers Nightly, and you watch that, TBN, you turn it on, and you watch that, and it's like, wow, I like what this guy says. I like what this lady says. Uh, but by the way, hey, that's false doctrine. But when you know your Bible, you listen to that, and you're like, wow. You're like crying. Sometimes I watch TBN, and I'm like crying. I'm like, I can't believe people are listening to this. I can't believe that people are... You know, they they have their hands up and, and you know, the, the, the guy, oh no, it was a lady. The lady says, look, the Holy Spirit is falling down. The Holy, the lady is teaching men. And the, 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 you know, the cue is given and then the glitter falls down. Look, the Holy Spirit is falling down. And all these men have their hands up. Worshipping this idol, what she calls the Holy Spirit. You see, you see it. It's like, I'm crying. What is what's happening here? Who is there who would shut the doors just like Malachi? Who is there who would shut the doors? The last days. So beautiful Gaius in his beautiful safe house, hosting Paul and the whole church greets you. Erastus in verse 23, the treasure of the city. Very interesting. So you have Erastus, a government official. A government official. In Rome, a government official. So we have to be very careful because a lot of Christians are saying, oh, I hate government, down with government. Yeah, I'm going to fight, you know, First Amendment, Second Amendment, boom. If we have to go to war, I'm going to kill these people. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't forget that in these government buildings, there's fish in there too. These government buildings, you know, mayor's offices, uh, you know, the, the town capital, the city capital, the state capitals, all the, there, there's fish everywhere. Go fishing. 
You know, you don't kill these people, you know? And it's not, oh, my First Amendment, I'm going to kill these people, you know? In the spirit of 1776, let's get it on. Whoa, 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 we're Christians. That might have been your old way. That's the old flesh. But we are Christians, and this place isn't our home. Zion, paradise, that's our home with Jesus Christ. We're just passing through with our fishing poles. And there's fish and government buildings, city buildings, state buildings, country buildings. There's fish everywhere. So go fishing. Just like Erastus, a treasurer, in the, treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, you know, this. keep in mind, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome or, or that, you know, Paul spoke and Tertius wrote it down. This is a very sensitive letter. I mean, look at all these names. I mean, he's like, you know, very, very sensitive letter in terms of like intelligence. Very, very sensitive letter. You have names. You have a government official. You have Gaius' house, you know, the safe house. It's like, oh, okay, you know, it's identified that Gaius is housing Christians. This is a very, even the runner, when this letter was done for, you know, Paul to roll it up and say, hey, you know, send this to the church in Rome. You know, that church over there, down the corner, up the street, you know, that church, run it over there. And that runner is dealing with very, very sensitive information, very sensitive material. And of course, you know, the, the, the truth inspired by the Holy Spirit given to the church in Rome. But then at the same time, look at all these names. Look at all, I mean, from, from an intelligence perspective, I mean, if I was like an official in Rome and I caught the runner and I was reading these names, I'd be like, okay, let's go pay a visit to Erastus, you know? Let's go pay a visit to Erastus. He's, he's, he, you know, he's a government official. And, you know, Caesar is God. Let's go have a talk with Erastus. Gaius, he has a safe house. You see how sensitive this, this information is? Of course, very sacred information in terms of holiness. But these names? It's so beautiful because even despite that, and in spite of that, Paul writes, Paul gives it to the runner and says, here, take it. Take it to the church. It's for their edification. It's for their edification. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. It's so that they can understand sound doctrine. Yes, there's Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, but it's for their help. It's They need to understand this. And so run it out. Give it to the church in Rome. You see? And then so the runner comes in the church Gives it to the pastor. The pastor reads it. Wow, beautiful. I'm going to read it to the church. Come on, let's go to have a church. I'm going to, you know, we're going to go to home fellowship. Tell your neighbors to come. You know, the Christians, tell them to come. If you have somebody who's maybe a new, brand new believer, bring him, bring her. You see, oh, you walk into a home. The pastor walks into a home. Hey, we got a letter from Paul, you guys. Here, let's read it. Let's read it together. This is what he says. Let's study. Boom, next home. That's done. You know, you pray, you fellowship, you know, everything, lay hands, you know, build one another up, comfort one another, greet one another with the holy kiss. Okay, God bless you. I don't you know. It's getting kind of, you know, hot and heavy out. I used to come once a week. I used to come once a month, but I might, it might be like five months till I see you next time. But I love you guys, you know, and I'm just, I'm going to go to the next town. You know, boom, off. 
traveling pastor. You see? How beautiful is this to see and understand? And not just understand, but, you know, we start to pray and it's like, wow, is this what the underground model looks like? Blueprints. And so look what happens here in closing, verse 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you, to him who is able to strengthen and comfort you. Never forget that. Because as the church in Rome was undergoing perilous times, and Paul in giving comfort to them by God's truth, and God's promises and the assurances of our Lord in verse 20 says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. In verse 19, your obedience has become known to all in spite of the situation in Rome. And even still, there might be some discomfort. But in verse 25, not to him who is able to establish, to strengthen and comfort you. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Very interesting when Paul says my gospel. I mean, if somebody said my gospel, I would question, okay, I got to really look at the fruit of this guy. I really got to look at the fruit of this lady. Whoever's saying my gospel, because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I see bad fruit, okay, that, you know, I would call that borderline heresy, depending on what that fruit was and the type of fruit and the duration of that fruit. That's what I would do. You know, as you um, test every spirit, but if there's a godly man, a godly woman who uses it, my gospel. Look at Paul. He says, according to my gospel. Look at the heart of Paul. If Peter were to say, my gospel, look at the heart of Peter. His heart is enveloped by the heart of Christ. Not just next to Christ, enveloped by the heart of Christ. Remember in the book of Acts when we did our study, he's a different animal. He's not like the average bear. His heart is enveloped with the heart of Christ. Sacrificially serving him. Even when it was, you know, counted. He, what did he count his life? At, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. What he told the, the Christians, you know, the, the apostles even. Prophets, prophetesses. I'm not ready to... To not, I'm ready not only to go bound to Jerusalem, but even if I die, you know, I'm ready. You see? And so he says, according to my gospel, says a lot about Paul. Because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but Paul abiding in Christ and Christ in him, he's just a vessel. Says a lot about his heart. He says, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began. Very interesting. Even in our study in the book of Numbers, we just finished, uh, well, we didn't just finish, but it, you remember our study through Leviticus, through Exodus, through Genesis. And all these things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're kept secret since the world began. But now he says, now keep in mind, this was 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. But now made manifest. Wow. All these things kept secret, but now they're made manifest. And by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith. Now how this translates in the Greek is obedience of faith. 
Remember, Brother James? Faith without works is dead. And then, you know, when he hearkens to Abraham, you read Genesis 22, and you see Abraham in obedience to the word of the Lord. What do you see? Works is obedience. Don't forget, works is also a debt. Hearken to our studies in Romans 1. Works is a debt. But works is also obedience unto the Lord. Just like Jesus Christ says, you love me, follow me. You love me, obey my commandments. Obedience. Obedience of faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Never forget the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith, no matter what the cost. If it means your hand's going to get chopped off, no matter what, even if it means your head's going to get chopped off. I don't care what anybody says. Never, ever, ever take the mark of the beast. I don't care. Don't do it. It's the obedience of faith. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You see, obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. And as we get deeper and deeper and deeper in these last days, and things get darker and darker and darker, let our light shine. Let our salt be ever flavorful. And let us fight the good fight of faith. To the beautiful people of the way, God bless you. I love you.